You're listening to Vernacular Podcast. All right, welcome back to Vernacular Podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. And joining us today as a co-host, a guest co-host for the first time ever is... <laughs> Elena. Elena. One of our contributors <laughs> who you've heard before, but Elena's going to join us and host this fifth episode of season seven. We're super excited. So Elena, I can't believe you guys are on season seven. How did that happen? I don't know. It's I get it's just sort of happened. I think like it seems like it was a few months ago that Sally was just in our kitchen saying, "I think it'd be so fun to do a podcast," and then here we are <laughs> doing a podcast. And I was one of the first guests too. That's you right. Were. Yep. were you guest number huh. two? One? Something like that. I was like I the pilot one. guest. Yeah, she was. You were you're one. definitely our pilot guest. And then I forget what you were. But yeah. Wasn't Danny number two? I think so. Let's see. Let me pull or up. Or he was the number old, one. Let me pull up the old podcast. I think feed. she might I think But I, I don't think I was on the first episode. Right. I think oh, I was the you're right. You, you were like the yeah. proof of concept. Yeah, guest. we did like a Yes. Yes. A, a rehearsal with you. I remember that. Yeah. Because <laughs> we didn't know how to podcast. <laughs> we're like, we have to do a rough a rough walkthrough first. So let's see. The very beginning, we had we had like the episode zero zero where we just did like a two minute introduction of vernacular, and then episode one was Danny. Episode two was Lena. That's right. Man, good times, good times. And look, you've come full circle now, Elena. You are here hostess. <laughs> this is how you know you've arrived. You're hosting. You are a guest podcast. host of Vernacular. Wow. <laughs> So, guys, uh, thought we could basically do the same format we do when Sally and I hosted. We'll just talk about some interesting things going on in the world, and then Sally will... I'm going to ask us some questions. Ask questions. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Elena, do you have anything interesting you want to talk about, or should I go first? You, you, you go can first. choose. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, the first interesting thing I found is this article in the New York Times... The New York Times has this section called The Upshot, which I'm sure you're familiar with. But if our listeners aren't, The Upshot is sort of the data-driven component of The New York Times online. So it's sort of a subset of The New York Times website. And it focuses on tech stuff and, like I said, data-driven journalism. They did a lot of polling stuff around election time, that sort of thing. It's kind of in the flavor of Nate Silver, although Nate Silver has moved his 538 presence to actually 538 which is now owned by espn but anyway that's too much history than you need this <laughs> this article that i found is about google wanting to shape a city and the city is toronto and the way they're going to do this is through this company called sidewalk Labs. so i guess it's not really google it's technically alphabet which now owns google because they they changed the parent company into alphabet and then google became basically the the search and internet component of Alphabet. I'm That's giving way too much history. Confusing. You guys don't need any of this history. Basically, wow. there's this company Wait, called... Google isn't its own company? Yeah, like if you look... So now the reason, I, the reason I know this is because if you look inside a mutual fund that owns Google, it shows up as Alphabet because that's... Yeah, that's the parent company. Right. So. Yeah, so because Google was a... Well, Google is a big company, obviously, but Google was the like mothership that owned right. all these different things. And so... Um, they were just getting, I think, too big, and the higher-ups at Google wanted to, and the original founders, Sergey Brin and Larry Page, wanted to retain the focus segment of the internet company and search company and advertising company in Google, but be able to sort of expand beyond that without retaining core focus on that 
that part of the job. So they started their Google. new parent company. Well, they. I think it was, I don't know, there's probably more technical terms for it, like inversion. It wasn't quite an inversion, but they uh, basically set it up so that what we did think about as Google became Alphabet, mm. and that was what owned all of these subsidiary companies. Okay. And now Google is a the search company. portion of that became Google. Okay. Yeah, that's my understanding of how this all shook out. I kind of feel like it's a little that's a little backwards because most of us know Google as the search engine. So like that's how most of us interact with Google. And so they're like, oh, we want to preserve that because that's how people know it. So, but anyways, this has nothing to do with your article. Let's yeah, get we're getting way <laughs> off track here. <laughs> Sorry, all- I just. All really great confused stuff. there for a minute. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Alphabet owns this company called Sidewalk Labs. They're based in New York City. Okay. I actually know a recruiter for Sidewalk Labs. So hmm, mm. maybe I'll go work for them. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but so there's this company called Sidewalk Labs. And if you go to their website, it's um, it doesn't have a ton of information. But you get the idea that Alphabet wants to sort of remake the way we build cities and and inhabit cities together. But they're not starting a new city. They're not starting a new city, no. Um, instead, they're going to go into an existing city, in this case, Toronto. They've selected their candidate. And Toronto has 800 acres of waterfront property that they want to redevelop. They've oh. said, we want to sort of rebuild this from the ground up and reimagine this. Wow. And they've essentially partnered with Sidewalk Labs to do this. Cool. So I was thinking, okay, what does this mean? I mean, I was picturing, like, uh, maybe the High Line in New York City, like sort of these or um, – What's that area of Atlanta that we were in? Um, you know what I'm talking about? Yes. But I so these, these sort of recently redesigned areas it of used to urban be... park that, yeah, you know, maybe a rundown rail yard. They turned it into something really nice. I was, yeah. Or in Birmingham. We were in Birmingham in that very nice city park where the old rail yard used to be. So I was picturing something like that. But no, Sidewalk Labs is much more ambitious. So Alphabet's vision for this or Sidewalk Labs' vision for this is to rebuild this this city sort of from the or this part of the city from the ground up including these types of things a thermal energy energy grid that is carbon neutral sensors that separate waste from recycling modular buildings that convert from retail to housing that sounds terrible wow. monitors yeah. that track noise and pollution self-driving transit shuttles shared ride taxi bots adaptive traffic traffic lights delivery robots heated bike paths and sidewalks that melt snow on their own how big is this again 800 acres wow so, I mean, it's big, but... It doesn't seem big enough necessarily to warrant all of those things, but maybe... Right. Well, I think... The it's shuttle? Just, it's just a test bed. Well, it's right? like okay. a showcase. Right. Yes. Oh, yeah, it's okay. showing all the things you could do in a city. Oh. So, are people living there? I imagine there would be. I don't know if there currently are. Uh, I, I mean, the impression I get is that this is sort of needing redevelopment so there's not a whole lot of people there now but i could be wrong right but people will live there i mean i assume so yeah it says it's kind of like they're making housing. housing right wow so interesting yeah so who wants to move to toronto i guess is my first question i mean it's the, the there are some really cool things about toronto it's um i mean it's very uh cross-cultural or intercultural there um are a lot of refugees and immigrants who've landed there so it has a great food scene and other things like that it's got a film festival so there are some, some good things that toronto has going for it already it also has a space needle so it's pretty cool <laughs> doesn't it is that seattle well i mean the space needle is in seattle it but has something like that yeah. it has a spire like tower right. i guess <laughs> right 
a spire-like tower. Why would you need so? I guess a heated bike bike path would just keep the snow and sludge off of it. But so it's safer. Uh, yeah. So you can use it year round, I suppose. And then is the shuttle uh, so that you don't need cars? Yeah, I guess so. Shared ride, taxi bots. See, I, some of these things, it seems a little bit of a stretch to say that you'd need this on 800 acres. I'm pretty sure right. 800 acres is walkable. But. but I think we've already identified this is really just a test bed. Right. They're just, yeah. They want to build this little showcase slash beta to figure out how workable this stuff is. Okay. On I've a gr- say, grander scale. Right. The city kind of makes me think of, did you guys see or see anything about the movie The Circle with Emma Watson and Tom Hanks? No. So it was this um, kind of futuristic, not quite, it became dystopian. It sort of starts out kind of utopian and becomes kind of dystopian where their lives are driven by technology and you have cameras everywhere and it keeps people honest and all these things. And it just, I don't know. It just it sounds vaguely of, like today. Right. Just so, throwing that out this, there. But this this concept just kind of harkens towards that i don't know it just reminds me of that and freaks me out a little bit in that way yeah like it's all controlled and planned and there isn't really a lot of free space because there's all these different all this different technology controlling every aspect of your life yeah because it's so focused on this idealism that it removes a lot of the uh, capabilities for or possibility for human to humans to make mistakes or um you know or to commit crime or whatever else it is. And this isn't talking about, you know, there's nothing in here that's talking about crime prevention, prevention or things like that. But I'm sure that, you know, serious security systems are part of it. It just, it makes me a little bit nervous. Um, none of these things are bad. Something that separates waste from recycling. I would love that. Something that's car- a thermal energy grid that's carbon neutral. That sounds great. But there are other things that just seem a little, I don't know, concerning. Yeah, I mean, I found myself with split opinions reading this. On the one hand, I think there's so much work to be done on improving the way cities are built. I don't know much about urban planning, but I have, like, just just, I would say, I would characterize it as a small side interest in urban planning, just in the sense that if I see an article about urban planning, I'll more often read it than not, because I think urban planning problems are interesting. And that's kind of why I read this article, because I was thinking, oh, how is Google going to reshape the way we do urban planning? Well, I think this is all good. And I get excited thinking about cities of the future like this, but I think I have two, two. Um, I wouldn't say objections, but like two sort of moderating thoughts on this. One is that I, I just am afraid of what we lose if we rebuild entire cities on this model. So if, if we're building new cities, absolutely, let's do this. But let's not tear down historical parts of existing cities to do this. Like let's not remake uh, these parts of cities that help us sort of access our historical consciousness. And second... Let's not bring this to rural America. By mm, that, by that I mean, well, so I was just thinking, I was reading this this article um, about how we often just don't even realize how much light pollution there is. So we look at the sky and we see stars at night and we think, wow, that's a lot of stars. But if mm. we didn't have the light pollution where we are, we would see 100 times as many stars, or we'd be able to see a part of the Milky Way galaxy in the night sky. That's something that I, as a as an adult human in the U.S. have never seen. I've never looked up into the sky and been able to make out the Milky Way because I've lived in places with so much light pollution. And I, I haven't like realized I've been deprived, but um, that is part of a broader theme here that I just, um, I want rural areas to stay rural and I want us to always be able to access that rugged beauty that is sort of uninterrupted by human activity. 
And I think cities are great. We need cities. I want us to build good cities. So I'm not, I'm not being anti-city or anti-population here. I just also always want to be able to flee into the mountains for weekend retreats. <laughs> yeah. I well, mean, oh, sorry. Ahead, I was just going to say that there was an article in the New York Times about that a month or two ago. Uh-huh. I forget who wrote it. One was David Brooks wrote something like that. Oh, it was Nick Kristoff. Yeah, it? Nick Kristoff. And he kind of had the same thought that he always wants to be able to flee into rugged Right. Because I think every year he takes his family to the national parks. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, I would definitely agree with that. I I think I hope that there's room for both. Um, but I'm pretty I mean, it's not like you can't build cities everywhere. You just don't have the it would take the, the resources that it would take to even implement some of these things um, in rural areas where you don't even have the infrastructure to begin with. So I don't think there's too much of a concern about this invading everywhere. I mean, I just don't think there are the resources out there for that to happen. Um, but another thing that uh, that would concern me would ha- be how this would prevent, um, I mean, like I said, Toronto has quite an immigrant population, um, and they've accepted a lot of refugees. So I wonder how that would impact, um, the possibility for people to move up, you know, and if you've got this high scale, probably incredibly expensive new community that's coming into the city, um, what does that do to the surrounding neighborhoods as far as gentrification and, um, and preventing other people from breaking into the, you know, to the economy. So it said in the article, um, housing is very expensive in a place like San Francisco, not because we haven't developed the right engineering methods to build, um, because, I'm sorry, not because we haven't developed the right engineering methods to build it more cheaply. Unaffordable housing is largely a political problem. We haven't developed the societal consensus to build enough of it. And this doesn't seem to be addressing something like that, which to me would be a bigger concern than whether or not our cities are technology or technologically, um, advanced enough. I think the bigger concern is how are we, um, making our cities more, um, friendlier to, uh, people who are, who are coming as kind of a, a last resort to, um, to find the, the job or whatever it is that they need in order to make ends meet for their families. Cause that's what drives a lot of people to the city is the opportunity for work. But would this would this um, keep a lot of them out of um, you know entering into the the um, the upper uh, or the middle class of the economy and things like that? I just wonder about that. But it sounds like I mean I think it's a good a good concern that you raise. It sounds more like that's just an argument for sort of proceeding with caution rather than not doing it because I think it's also equally possible that this helps rather than hinders those problems, right? It could be. Yeah. I mean, just like, I mean, the article said, it's a political problem. It's not, um, it's not about engineering methods. So it's possible that we could incorporate engineering methods as long as we have developed the, um, the, we've established the priority of, um, making housing affordable, Right. then absolutely. Then these things could totally go hand in hand, but it doesn't necessarily sound like that's the thing that's driving this. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Any other on. thoughts on? No. Okay. Moving on. All right. So, um, what's th- your other article? So, yeah, it's not really. I mean, I guess there is sort of an article that caught my eye on this. But as as you know, Sally, I'm always reading up on the latest phone technology because I just I don't know. I like cell phones. I mean, I, I have a love hate relationship with my cell phone, but you like cell phone technology. I like cell phone technology. I like reading about the new ones that are coming out. Even though I only buy one myself every two years or three years, I like knowing what's out there. 
And what's out there now is the Google Pixel 2, which was released. So Google released the Pixel last year. Great phone, from what I've heard. I don't own one. <laughs> Never actually handled one. <laughs> but it's supposed to be a great phone. The Pixel 2 is supposed to be an even better phone. And it's significantly cheaper than the iPhone 8. Ooh. And way cheaper than the iPhone $10,000 emoji machine. <laughs> so, what? yeah, it's a $1,000 emoji machine. That's because it's like main selling point is that you can make animated emojis with it. Oh my gosh. So, um, I'm exaggerating slightly, but not really. Um, but the Pixel 2 is supposed to be a really good phone. Um, it does have some complaints about the screen quality, apparently. Like, there's this Verge article um, that talks about how the Pixel screen uses more natural lighting. Huh. And they, they they touted this as a selling point. Like, they were proud of their color ratios on here. Okay. But if you've ever looked at a Samsung Galaxy phone, the colors are so saturated that they really sort of pop off the screen at you in sort of a jarring way. Okay. Um, and the Pixel's like the opposite of that. So it's all very subdued. Okay. Almost as if you had, like, night shift on Oh, like on the you whole couldn't screen. see clearly enough? Yeah. yeah that like would the, be my concern is that it wouldn't be warmer. bright enough. Yeah, they're, like, warmer colors and just not as good. So that concern aside, the Pixel 2 seems like a great phone. My question... And I've brought this up before. Like, my question is, is it worth a cheaper phone with potentially better or at least very comparable features for giving up your participation in the Mac ecosystem, primarily invited in iMessage? Like, is the social stigma of the green bubble worth getting Pixel 2? Okay, so lightning round. Lightning round. What do you guys think? Zach iMessage or other message? I mean, iMessage for sure. It's, okay. iMessage is better than Facebook Messenger. It's better than WhatsApp. It's better than, uh, certainly better than text messages, right? I mean, Voxer. I think it's better than <laughs> Voxer even. I mean, Voxer is great for audio and it's better than iMessage for audio. But as far as displaying emoji, as far as the responsiveness of uh, the text, as far as seeing when you're... Um, Interlock your interlocutor is responding. I mean, iMessage is hands down the best. Okay, right? Elena, iMessage or other message? I mean, other message is just so vague. I guess iMessage. <laughs> it's, it's you know you've always everyone's been in that situation where you've you've added everyone to the group text and then up oh, you've got that one person who doesn't have iMessage and they screw the whole thing up. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and. I don't want to be that person. <laughs> FOMO. I'm, they're going to intentionally leave me out of group text because they don't want a green bubble. <laughs> right, like, right. guys, let's, let's keep or it pure here. Or just because they know that it's going to get messed up. Right, right. <laughs> oh, we better just, like, not include Zach. Okay, because... so have we – well, Sally, we didn't ask you. What do you think? iMessage or all – All else being equal, I would choose iMessage. Ceteris paribus, a but good economics term. I think that if the price difference is that great, then I would probably choose the cheaper smartphone because I need right. my podcast And app. yet, here we are with iPhones. Right, but... <laughs> mm, interesting. I don't think I knew that there was another... You definitely knew. Okay. We had this conversation well, before we bought our phones. I remember we had a conversation about getting dumb phones, and I said that unless <laughs> I was able to... The problem was the podcast. The problem was the podcast. That's true. But we did talk about Android phones, and we decided to stick with it because iMessage was so good. Yes, and because and the cameras I'm a little are, tech phobic are consistently good. And afraid that I won't be able to work another phone. <laughs> <laughs> How does this work? 
<laughs> like, I can't call anybody. Not I can't do anything. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. So I, I mean, at what point? Maybe we're we're probably just the wrong people to be talking about this because I don't know. We're all you're on an iPhone too, Elena, right? So we're all iPhone people. So I think we, I need I'm to look at the numbers. <laughs> I'm practically on an iPhone 2, literally, like, iPhone, I don't know if there was an iPhone 2. That's but not I'm even a thing. The to. iPhone 2 was never a thing. <laughs> Didn't it just <laughs> go from iPhone to iPhone 3G? I don't even know. It probably. So you're, so like, you're like on the original Thank 2G goodness. iPhone. <laughs> Almost. Uh, you know, with the big round corners and really thick. Yeah. Almost. Well, right. we can we can table this very productive conversation for whatever <laughs> for whatever interesting things you brought, Elena. Well, um, mine is a little less. Uh, I don't know. Lighthearted. Yeah, hap- lighthearted like that. Um, so. I maybe it's because I was really busy this weekend, but I was shocked at how little coverage I saw of the um, the car bombing attacks by Al Shabaab in Mogadishu on Sunday. Um, I think it started Saturday, well, probably Saturday in our, our time, but um, there were 500 casualties and 300 deaths. Wow! I, I mean, this is this is bigger than Las. This is six, almost six times bigger than Las Vegas. Um, and yet I saw very little in, you know, my various feeds. I saw nothing until today about, um, Mogadishu. And, um, so do you think I mean, that's just because you mostly interact with Americans who are well, yeah, focused on interact with Americans like on a regular basis? Sure. But, I mean, I don't know any Somalians. But you mean from, like, major news outlets? Yeah, and, I mean, it was on – It was on. there was a photo on the Wall Street Journal um, front page on Monday, um, but not, not much of an article. Um, so, I, I don't know. I, I was just surprised that I've heard – I've read plenty of news in the last three days, but I have not seen very much about Mogadishu. And I wonder if part of it is that we don't really have – um, the U S doesn't really have an interest in not, uh, and by interest, I mean, a national interest. Yeah. A national interest in Somalia. We haven't had, um, we've recently sent some American troops, um, to assist in some peacekeeping in recent years. But for the most part, uh, we pulled out all of our troops after or Bill president Clinton pulled out the majority of troops from, uh, Somalia in 1993 after black Hawk down. down. Yeah. Um, but Al Shabaab has, I mean, it really, it, it puts them on the map. Um, and I mean, there are some crazy things about Somalia. It's like one of the only countries in the world where you can buy, uh, you know, you don't even have to look to the black market to buy major, um, arms, you know, it's all available on the street. Um, but I don't know. It's just, it's surprising to me that we didn't hear more. Um, I, I, I believe the, I saw something about how the Eiffel tower turned off its lights, um, in honor, you know, in homage to the, um, the people who were lost in the bombing, but, um, you know, you don't see, you didn't see the hashtag pray for Mogadishu and things like that. And, um, 
it, it, it's not as political for us as something like Iraq or, um, Syria. So, um, I don't know. I was just curious if you guys heard more than I did, uh, over the weekend and on, you know, on Monday, the day after it happened. But, um, most of the people that I've talked to hadn't really heard much about it. I mean, I heard a good bit about it, but probably because I follow some international relations types and international reporters on Twitter. And I, yeah. I have an academic interest in this part of the world. So um, I think I'm just a little more um, plugged into the people who are talking about this than certainly I would think the average American. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm not surprised that we didn't talk about it very much. I mean, you guys already brought up the sort of this isn't in our national interest um bucket so i think that's that's one reason um another reason is we just have we have a 24-hour news media that is a for-profit enterprise quite clearly Mm -hmm. and focuses itself exclusively on manufacturing the latest crisis into the greatest possible outrage in order to drive ratings and therefore advertising revenue and Maybe that's a Donald really Trump for the president. I mean, that's a really yeah, it's a really cynical look at it, but that's exactly that's exactly what it is. And so we have this this truck bomb that kills three hundred people, injures two hundred plus more in Mogadishu, um, and, and all we can talk about instead is like which of the previous presidents uh, was more respectful to um, to the families of slain service members. Which presidents called called families? You know. Uh, yeah. President Trump said previous presidents didn't. Well, previous presidents did, and so now we just have this, like, oh, a former staffer of this president said the president always called. Well, Trump said they didn't call, and let, let, let's just let's just turn this into a whole story for forty eight hours because this is really what we need to be talking about. Um, yeah. Which I don't even need to mention. That's a huge disservice to the family members themselves. Why are we politicizing these gold star parents uh, and families in any way at all? So. I'm just sort of um, irritated at, at how the media narratives of the past week have played out in general, but I certainly agree that it's a shame that this didn't get more coverage, Elena. I am not sadly surprised. Um, yeah. But as far as what you're saying, I mean, Al-Shabaab, um, I don't think this puts them on the map. I think they've been on the map for a long time. This is their, uh, I think, greatest attack thus far in terms of magnitude and extent of the casualties, but uh, Somalia is not a good place to be. Um and it's really, really sad for the people who are who are there and exposed to these dangers constantly. One other thought I have, just while I'm on this soapbox, is <laughs> I'm super. You mentioned the pray for Mogadishu hashtag wasn't trending, at least not that much. I'm super skeptical of hashtag campaigns, and maybe that's an unpopular thing to say because it seems like the preferred the preferred tool of of mobilization these days, but. The reason I'm skeptical of them is that there's just so it's 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 almost in my mind a disservice to a cause when it becomes a hashtag because when something becomes a hashtag in my mind it's a guarantee that that's going to actually disappear from our consciousness within seven days mm. and you know so I'm thinking about like Kony 2012 you remember that campaign to stop yeah. the the fearsome warlord in Uganda <laughs> who was using child soldiers and like this dominated headlines for I don't know a week or two in the summer of 2012. And then, and before that, no one knew who Joseph Coney was. And after that, no one really cares who Joseph Coney is. We've sort of just forgotten about this person and he's moved on. Same with, um, hashtag bring back our girls when, uh, Boko Haram in Nigeria kidnapped the 200 school girls. 
Um, that was a social media campaign, and everyone tweeted about it, and that was great. We all cared about these girls and bring back our girls, but um, it didn't actually get anything done. And I think all it did was sort of trivialize it in a, in a sort of perverse way. Maybe I'm well, too cynical on this, but uh, no, I, just... I would totally agree with you. I mean, I don't, I, I don't think I've ever participated in a hashtag campaign, meaning you know, of the Instagram and Twitter that I have. I don't even have Facebook anymore. Um, I've never like utilized those hashtags. So I totally agree with you about that too. It's just. Um, it's that would have been evidence that people had been It would have been attention. evidence that yeah. people had seen, yeah, that people knew that it was happening. Um, and at least, you know, the 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 very the little that we that we care about these things that um, that for five minutes someone paid attention and right. that, that three hundred people who are probably extremely poor because Somalia is not by any means a rich country, um, that who have uh, little as far as, um, national security and, um, and the, um, interest of the, the rest of the world, pretty much. I mean, like you said, Zach, Somalia is not a place where anyone wants to be, and there's less than 400 U.S. troops on the ground there. Um, so I don't know. It just, it struck me as kind of one of those least of these moments. Um, and to see that very few, um, of the, the big name accounts that I see on Twitter and Instagram had said anything about it. Um, so it was just, it was disappointing, but I mean, I, I guess I'm I probably on the same level as you are, as far as cynicism goes, that would be an interesting conversation though, to talk about, um, the other things to, you know, how do we respond in the face of these national or international tragedies when I, I just hear plenty of people who say, well, I just, I've given up on the news, but that doesn't seem like it's the right response either, even though you can probably, you probably can't do anything more to impact the situation just by reading the news. But, um, but there's gotta be some significance to it, at least in, in knowing. And, um, you know, if you are, if you are the praying kind of person to be prayerful about it. Okay, guys, it's time for Sally's section. Sally's section. And I want you to search your hearts for wonderful answers to my probing questions. Are we doing the, like, what are you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I haven't even thought about these, actually. Okay, well. All right. That's fine. Let's do it. Okay. Lightning round style. Right. Immediately. What are you guys reading right now? Uh... You oh, just started a new book, Zach. I did, yep. The Black <laughs> Ice. So Sally and I have been into the have we have we talked about this already? Yep. Okay. So the Bosch series yep. on Amazon Prime. Detective Harry Bosch, L A P D. And it got me into the books. So I've just started the the novels. I'm reading the second the second book in this series and uh loving it so far. Super exciting stuff. It's making me read more fiction than I've ever read in my life, I think. This, like, because I, I was in the Lincoln Lawyer series, and now I'm in the Bosch series, so reading a lot of fiction lately. Uh, also, I just subscribed on Texture to, uh, well, subscribed to Texture via Amazon, because there was a great deal on Amazon. So for $8 a month now, I get, uh, subscri- I get subscribed to 200 magazines, including Wired, The New Yorker, The Atlantic, um, a bunch of really good ones. So I've been reading a lot of New Yorker stuff because everyone knows on this podcast how much I love the New Yorker. Long form. That's what I'm reading. <laughs> Elena, what are you reading? Um, I'm reading a book called Clout by uh, her name is Jenny Catron. It's a you know like a leadership development book. Um, I what else do I have? I have 
quite a collection that I'm in the middle of right now. Can we have a brief aside um, on leadership development books? <laughs> is this going to be off? Off? Is this going to be unrecorded? Or are you going <laughs> to? No, this is is recorded. We're we're, right, we're letting it run. <laughs> we're letting it run. Uh, what? So I, I mean, you're reading one. So I take it you're at least not opposed to leadership development books. Talk to well, me more. Talk to me more about your philosophy. Oh, so. okay. you know the author personally. Well, that's mm-hmm. good. So, <laughs> talk to me about leadership development books and just your thoughts on like the value of a leadership development book. Why don't book. you just tell us what you no, want to say? <laughs> I'm open-minded on this. I just here, – here's my thing. I've never been interested in reading a leadership development book. Like this is, this is like hashtag confess your unpopular opinion thing. But like I've, I've been given John C. Maxwell books and some other ones like it and, or like them. And I just can't bring myself to pick them up. I love reading on leadership, but I prefer doing it through biographies, and I just haven't been able to like get into a leadership leadership theory book. Sure. Well, I I guess I I understand that. Um, I think. Uh, well, you had that personality tests conversation back with, um, with the shorts. Uh, yeah. The shorts. Yeah. Um, I guess I kind of see it more like that. Um, and that to the extent that they help me to understand myself and my own like leadership styles or, or tendencies and to that extent, it's beneficial. Um, and I guess in that way, uh, you know, some, most of them are probably just skimmable. I, I can't think of any leadership development book that I've read all the way through. Um, and you know, savored every word. I, I, they're really skimmable. I, they're easy. And so, yeah, so I don't generally spend a whole lot of time on them. No, this um, is like great. Said, this is actually kind of like self-help books. You kind of read the bullet points, you read the chapter headings, you, yeah. Yeah. And you know, every so often you'll come across a good quote or something like that. But, um, but yeah, I was involved in, um, it was kind of like a, a coaching group, uh, for women in leadership. Uh, and it was led by the author of this book. So, um, so that's kind of what got me started, uh, and interested in reading it. But yeah, I mean, it kind of, sometimes it feels like read one, read them all. Um, but I appreciate her unique perspective. Um, and, and knowing her personally, it, it has a little bit more significance to me. So what else are you reading? Uh, I'm a little bit into The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. Have you read that one, Zach? Uh, tipping Point, Tipping Point. No, I think I've just, just read Blink and Outliers. Okay, yeah, I just really – he's just – he's so smart. I just really think he's a lot of fun. I just think he has this kind of uh, really popular kind of genius. Yes. That he's, he's just – I don't know. No, I, I totally I just, agree. I, I, his books are so readable and so accessible. Um, yeah. I've, I've heard actual academics scoff at Gladwell a little bit, but I think they're probably really just – to be. In- they're probably just jealous of his ability to translate to the masses, you know, people sure. like me who <laughs> – who really appreciate his writing. Right, and it's not supposed to be something that's inaccessible to the Yeah, it's not supposed person. to be peer-reviewed work, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. So I have those two right now. I think I've also got a theology book in the mix, um, Joy Unspeakable by Martin Lloyd-Jones. Um, so that's kind of what I'm, what I'm chipping away at these days. Nice. I am reading... So I just started two new books because I finished two books. Yes, but I have to big... A big shout out to the fiction book that I just finished while we were on vacation, Big Little Lies. 
by right. forget her name. Um, but it's a strange name. <laughs> is that a show now? <laughs> yes, it, it is, is a, a TV show. show. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. I want to, but it's on HBO, and we don't have HBO. So if you do have HBO out there and you want to give me your login information, let me know. But it was a very fast read, but very engaging, and her storytelling was fascinating. I don't know if she tells every story this way, but she started kind of with the punchline, like you knew what the end of the book sort of when you started that someone died basically it's by um and then you start Sherlock's six months before rival, that point moriarty oh okay right? leanne Whoa. leanne moriarty leanne moriarty not really Sherlock's <laughs> rival but okay but if you're looking for a quick read um but still super engaging and well written i would recommend it and then um i finally finished the terror years so i have started a new book called wild swans and i'm not quite 100 pages in but it is about it is a mem- memoir about a woman um, looking back at the previous generations of women in her family um, that go back to China in the um, – I think she starts in the – before the, the turn of the 20th century. But right now I'm um, in her, the life of her mother and that is in the 40s, 1940s. So it's fascinating and really eye-opening. I've never really read about that yeah, it sounds time or place. So yeah. And yeah, oh, and then finishing up my Dorothy Sayers um, quartet uh, with Busman's Honeymoon, which I have started but didn't finish. So I'm working. Wait, what was that? Busman's Honeymoon? Yeah, it's called Busman's Honeymoon, which apparently I need to look up the origin of that term. Is a a busman someone who drives a bus? I don't think so because they use the term Busman's Honeymoon to basically say that their honeymoon was kind of like a bust because they go on their honeymoon (laughs) and they find a dead guy in their house. So that is sort of a downer. <laughs> Bummer, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, I guess it's going to be kind of like a busman's honeymoon. So I need to find out what that means exactly, but that's the way I'm interpreting it. Uh, by the way, I just Googled define busman. I have a driver of a bus. <laughs> okay. So don't think that's what it is. Um, okay, but moving on. Multiple, pla- multiple places are saying it is the person who drives a bus. Oh, okay. Busman's holiday is a vacation or day off from work spent in an activity closely resembling one's work. Oh, that's it because he's a detective and she is a detective writer. Oh, the reason it's it's that though is because it's like a bus driver taking a long drive. Oh, Look at that. Wow. Busman's holiday. So interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's your etymology lesson for today. There we go. Um, what are you listening to, Zach? Uh, listening to music podcast. Oh yeah, I have a good one for this actually. I'm listening to a new podcast from the Los Angeles Times called Dirty John. Mm. It is in the style, you could say it's in the style of serial, although I don't think it's an unsolved un, unsolved crime as okay. serial was. But it but is it's a crime. A, it's a, yeah, well, it's sort of a series of crimes. It follows a guy named John, and his nickname is Dirty John, and he's sort of a con man, but as you find out as the as the podcast develops, there's there's more to the story than that. So I've been enjoying that. I'm about four episodes in right now, and it's been a great companion for commutes. Nice. Elena. Um, I'm listening to Travis Meadows. So he's uh, like a singer, songwriter, country artist. um, And he just came out with an album called First Cigarette. And um, he kind of reminds me, I don't know if this is going to mean anything to you, but it reminds me a little bit of Springsteen's Nebraska album. Um, this means nothing so, to me. Yeah, unfortunately, that doesn't mean anything <laughs> to me either. Well, his music is good, so I would recommend that you check him out. Um, the song Pontiac, is Pont- Pontiac, like a car, is really good. So is there a meaning, a meaning to the title First Cigarette? 
Because my first well, cigarette was a terrible experience. <laughs> also happened to be, I think, my only cigarette. Although I might have tried a second one and, like, tried to just really, you know, in college, like, really tried to inhale it and choke it down. And uh, on neither occasion did the cigarette work for me. Yeah. Um, well, that's it's one of the songs, so you'll have to listen to it and tell me what you think and see if it uh, resonates with you. All right. Sounds <laughs> good. Experience. Yeah. Okay. I have been listening to – I don't think I've been actually listening to any new podcasts, but I have returned to some that I kind of got sidetracked with or just stopped listening to their newest ones, but Food Psych. And I was turned on to Food Psych – by um, Kylie Mitchell of I'ma Eat That. And we've had her on the podcast before. Great blog, great um, dietitian, actually, of the intuitive eating variety. And Food Psych is along those same lines. And each episode, she talks to a different, usually a dietitian. But so is this a psychologist who specializes in eating disorders? Is, or She's an intuitive eating dietitian. Okay. Um, I don't think she has a psychology background. Okay. But any more than, I mean, whatever she got in dietetic school, basically. Gotcha. And so she talks to other dietitians, and she always asks them the first question is, tell me about your relationship with food. And so she she takes them back to their childhood, and they work through their relationship with food. And, yeah, I just think it's great. I think she has great wisdom. And, nice. Um, yeah, I, I think she – I don't think that every episode is equally good, but she comes out with so many episodes that you have so many to choose from. And I think that a lot of the people she talks to just have really, really good things to say about how our culture has messed up everybody's relationship with food. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I'd recommend it. Do they talk about orthorexia? Um, yeah. I mean, they talk about every Everything. food disorder that you can think of and things that you don't even realize are disorders. Wow. Yeah. Um, okay. So what are you watching? Uh, Bosch and MLB playoffs right now. So actually, as we were recording, I was uh, peeking at the score of the <laughs> Cubs-Dodgers game. Dodgers currently up on the series, three zips. So if they win the night, it's over for the Cubbies. Cubby's trying to claw back, currently leading by one run. But, yeah, that's what I've been watching lately. All right. Elena? I, I'm not really watching a whole lot lately, but I'll tell you one that I really want to that I really yeah, want to see. Yeah, that's good. Um, on Netflix is Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Have you heard of this? No. Mm, don't think so. So it was um, like a fantasy novel by Susanna Clarke. Um, and so it's uh, kind of – it's like – early 19th century and um Jonathan Strange is a young wannabe magician um and he kind of runs in these magician circles but they're all these academic kind of magicians and they talk about magic but nobody actually does magic and then Mr. Norrell shows up and he actually does magic and so it's just it's it's kind of a a, a fun little it started off as you know a young adult fantasy novel um but I think the I think the series is probably a little bit darker than that, but anyways, I want to I want to check that one out. Yeah, it's that not sounds new. I think intriguing. Was, yeah, I think it was 2015 or something. And I know fantasy isn't necessarily <laughs> your cup of tea, but um, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm curious about it. So maybe I'll just show up and give you a review after I've gone through the series. Yeah, it sounds probably like a better way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, I'm watching Bosch too because. 
That's right. Team Bosch over here. <laughs> That's where we're watching. Uh, but I do want to go see a movie, and we are trying to figure out a good movie to go see in the theaters, believe it or not. Ooh. Not so, just any theater. Not just any theater. But, but the Alamo Draft House. Yes. Or as Esther says, why is it a giraffe house? <laughs> She's she's really jealous that we're going to the giraffe house on a date night, and we had to explain that no, we're not going oh, to a giraffe house. <laughs> so wait, what are you going to go see then? Right now we're talking about Thor. Thor Ragnarok, or however you pronounce it. Yeah, which I was listening to Popcast today, and they did say that if you're going to go see a movie in the theaters, it should be Thor or Star Wars, because those are not meant to be seen at home. Oh, Star Wars is another good. Yep. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. We're not really giant Thor or Star Wars fans, but I just think yeah, it would be a, good, be a good movie theater experience. So, are you guys um, like Blade Runner fans? Would you be interested in seeing that one? Um, I mean, I guess I. Well, I don't know. I don't really know much about it. Yeah, I okay. mean, I saw the original one, but it was a long time ago. So I definitely wouldn't be opposed to it. I heard that you know it, it is another of those movies that's great in the theaters. So sure, yeah, I would probably say that. Um, and then what else is coming out soon? The mountain between us is one that looks interesting. Um, that's, uh, Oh, what's his name? Um, Idris Elba and Kate Winslet. Oh, uh, wow. That's who are like stranded, stranded after a plane crash and have to figure out how to survive together. Yeah. Uh, I, they talked about that one and I think that they gave that one a thumbs up. I think who's they, the podcast people, um, oh, Knox okay. and Jamie. And I think that they were, I forget exactly, but I think they were torn on whether it was definitely a thumbs up or if it was going to be um, kind of one of those that you were surprised by. So, oh, okay. well, Rotten Got Tomatoes. It. I mean, take the take this for what you will, but the tomato meter is forty three percent on the mountain between us. Fifty three percent of the audience liked it. I normally go by the audience score rather than the critic score because, yeah, I mean, critics are, yeah, but. <laughs> The audience, if it's like 50% or hovering around there or lower, kind of hmm. pass. Sure. Not a hard pass. Hard pass is like 20% territory. Yeah. Soft pass is like 50% territory. So this looks like a soft pass. I'll maybe okay. check it out when it's on Prime. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's one of those that you need to see in the theater. So. Right. Yeah, that's another good point. Yeah, the special effects aren't stunning. Right, right. The cinematography maybe. I don't know. I mean, if they're in a mountainous region after a plane crash so the mountain between us does like one does one of them end up on one side of a mountain <laughs> and the others on the other side i think it's more of a metaphorical mountain actually <laughs> oh, surprise, this surprise. Makes so much sense. <laughs> okay um and i guess we should be wrapping things up so i'll just oh, probably end with one question here what are you looking forward to zach um wow hadn't uh okay elena for this um, well, I just made this up today. Oh, that's great. <laughs> but I'm going to have a, a Hugo weekend. So oh, what? I'm sorry, what? Hugo. Have you heard of Hugo? Oh, oh. yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So how, what is your... I thought it was Hugo. Hugo? But yeah, okay, so you're going to have a cozy weekend. I love yeah. cozy. What so, are you yeah, going to so do for your cozy weekend? This? Are you going to go to Scandinavia? That would be great. But no. Um, so I have family coming into town the last weekend of October. And I thought, we just need to be intentional about this and drink warm drinks and have a fire in the fireplace and play board games and things like that. Nice. So it better not be 70 degrees outside. It better be cold outside because yeah. I want my, want my Hugo, Hugo weekend. Nice. That sounds great. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. 
It sounds very different from our weekend here, where it's probably going to be like 80 degrees and sunny. It's <laughs> yeah. A little bit harder to have a After 10 a.m. at least. Yeah. I'm really glad I'm not in Austin because I, mean, it's I need nice things weather, to get though. cold. It is nice. I mean, I it's think- still getting a little too hot in the middle of the day, though. Agreed. Agreed. So yeah. it would be nice if it would cool down a little bit. All right, Zach, what are you looking forward to? Uh, I think I'm going to have to just go with the World Series. So. I mean, it's always just fun baseball to watch. The, who do you want it to be, Zach? Wh- who, I, who do I want to be in the World what, Series? What two teams? Yeah. The Astros and the Dodgers. Oh, okay. And, really? Uh, Wait, why are you cheering against the Cubs now? You're really excited about them last year. The Cubs had their chance last year. I mean, they they did. I don't See, really like. Zach I don't really is, like repeats. He loves he mm. loves the the underdogs or the newbies or right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, the uh, the Cubs are the underdogs with the Dodgers, but. Um, for that reason, I don't want the Dodgers to win the World Series because the Astros would be underdogs to them. But yeah, I mean, I, the Cubs. I mean, I saw a great, great baseball drama last year when the Cubs won, and you know that's fine. But I can move on to another team. The Dodgers have tried. I want the Dodgers to make it to the World Series, and I want the Astros to come away with all of it. But as of today, the Astros are one loss away from losing to the Yankees and having the Bronx Bombers go back to the World Series. Not really a desired outcome of mine. So we'll see. All right. We'll see. Sally, right. what are you looking forward to? I am looking forward to Thanksgiving. Because, Me too. Yes. I'm just so excited about Thanksgiving. I'm so excited about going to colder weather where it actually feels like fall. And, um, and dried roasted turkey and <laughs> melted cranberries. Stop. And <laughs> you Thanksgiving uh, – Raining clouds. I mean, I love Thanksgiving. I just <laughs> think Thanksgiving food is one of the most overrated right, things right, in American yeah, history. Yeah, yeah. Moving on. We, I've definitely heard this conversation <laughs> on vernacular. Before. Yeah. <laughs> I try. More I try once. to bring it up every year. More than once. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Elena. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. For vernacular. Is this podcast. the end? Oh, are we ending right now? Yeah. Wow, the co-hosting is over. <laughs> All right. Was it was it a little lackluster, a little disappointing, Zach? No, this was great. It was a great co-host session. We'll have to do this again. I think that Elena, as the co-host, you should just you should sign us off today. You should close it out. Oh, really? Well, then for vernacular podcast, I'm Zach. Is... <laughs> You're just saying... no. I say I'm Zach. Yeah. And oh. then okay, you then say I, I'm so Sally. even though Elena is introducing. All right, all right. Okay, start over. Oh Elena. yeah, good point. Yeah. Well, okay, let's try so. this again. Yeah. Sorry. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. This is Vernacular Podcast. So, and... I, so I thought that time you were going to say. <laughs> okay, so Elena, you say that and then say, I'm Elena. Right. Okay. Well, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Uh, oh, it's not tonight. I'm going to do this one more time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll do it with our powers combined. Here we go. Okay. Thanks so much for joining us. This is Vernacular Podcast. (laughs) You're Elena. I'm Sally, and he's Zach. (laughs) Thanks, guys. See you next week.